Hello and welcome back to When in Doubt Pixie. I'm Lindsay Jones. And I'm Sophie Lee. On this podcast, every episode, we introduce a question that has multiple answer choices. We talk through each of the choices and then at the end we give you our verdict. Alright. So Sophie, what is the question of this week's episode? The question of this week's episode is, what is the best birth control method? Yes, well, now we are in the heat of April. The birds and the bees are out and about from the cold of winter. And uh, it's Mother's Day next month. So to celebrate all of our mothers having us, we thought we'd talk about how to avoid becoming a mother. Yeah. Or Or father. Or father. (laughs) Parent. Right. Non-binary caregiver. Yeah. Just... You know, it because Lindsay and I are both uterus havers, um, and also we're both kind of broke, and babies are generally expensive, and so, you know, like, this show is all about knowing all of your options before you have to make a decision, and so family planning is one thing that you really do want to know all of your options, because, you know, you want to, we, we want to empower you to only have babies on purpose, and only when you want them, and only when you feel ready. <laughs> so yeah, which neither of us well, do. So you know, right? Now we're going to lead with some disclaimers. Neither of us are medical professionals, not yeah. educated in how to counsel for family planning, etc. Yes, of course, we did a lot of research, and we also called in our friend Danielle Mullen, who mm-hmm. used to work at Planned Parenthood. So you know, hopefully, we're not we're not giving you any wrong information, but we're definitely not giving you all the information. So please you know, do more research if this is uh, a topic that you need to know about. Do more of your own research and consult a medical professional if possible. Right. Mm -hmm. We are not going to cover every single birth control option in this episode because we would probably be here for at least three hours and uh, (laughs) we don't want that. The format of the show is generally a four option question. So we have picked four, but there are way more than four. Right. So methods of birth control. If you want to know like kind of a more comprehensive list of birth control options we will have links to a couple of lists from reputable sources that you can go to and check out all of the options that are currently available to you um Mm -hmm. especially for us and we're talking about in the u.s but obviously there's other options um worldwide so Lindsay, what are our answer choices this week the answer choices are in chronological order as we like to do Mm mm-hmm Option A is the rhythm method. Option B is condoms or condoms if you are from the UK. Option C is the pill, birth control pills. And option D is the morning after pill slash emergency contraceptives. Right. So, Lindsay, how did you go about choosing these options? These options, I mean, if you've been listening to our show for a while... You know that we often have questions that have more than four possible answer choices. Um, For example, our board games episode from last season. Mm -hmm. And in these cases, I like to just try to pick ones that are different from each other to make for an interesting discussion Mm -hmm. and that, you know, cover a nice broad range um, of all of the available options and that are iconic. You know, there are a lot of lesser known birth control methods and... um, while they are worth thinking about if you're actually trying to family plan, as far as this show goes, um, I wanted to pick some that I think would be more recognizable to our audience. Yeah. Like, these are the ones, these are kind of, this is like a primer on birth, on uh, basic birth control methods. You're, you've probably heard these before, 
So we want to make sure mm-hmm. that you know exactly how they work and whether they are a good option for you, basically. Yeah. And teach you a little bit about the history of it. Yeah. All right. So shall we get into it? Let us get into it. So option A is the rhythm method. Mm-hmm. So this is known as natural family planning in a lot of circles these days, but essentially this birth control method is for people with uteruses. Yes. And these people track their menstrual cycles to try to estimate when they ovulate because an egg only lives for 12 to 24 hours and then it's gone, not viable for that whole cycle. Mm -hmm. However, your cervical mucus does hold on to sperm for several days before you ovulate. So the whole point is you're trying to figure out when you ovulate and avoid sex for about a week before you will ovulate. And if you abstain from sex during that time, theoretically, you will not get pregnant. Right. And there's different methods to try to figure out when you're ovulating. A lot of people go just by the calendar. You track your cycles and you can estimate pretty well when you'll be ovulating if you have regular periods. Right. Um, but you can also <laughs> use different. In- I know <laughs> you can also use different info like your body temperature, which, which spikes when you ovulate, your right. cervical mucus, which change- changes physical characteristics when you ovulate, mm-hmm. and your cervix itself, which also changes when you ovulate. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, all of these are just to uh, nail down when you ovulate, and doesn't help you. It helps you determine when you're ovulating this cycle, but it's still. It still just has to be an educated guess for when you will be ovulating next cycle. Yeah, like you, I mean, there's, you can't actually see your like fallopian tubes and your ovaries and everything like that, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. There's no, there's no way to really check. It's like, is there an egg in there? So, and it's not even an egg. It's like, will there be an egg within five days? Yeah. That's the question you have to try to answer. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so this method, I mean, of course, it hinges on, you know, the whole, uh, well, two things, which is predicting when you're ovulating and then also not having sex during that period, right? Right. So just, you just kind of have to, uh, one part is guesswork and one part is absolutely not having sex. And, you know, that, that's an imperfect process. It but, is. Yeah. So um, how do people get around to this answer, like to this particular choice? Like, when do people start doing it? Well, this, since we are ordering these chronologically, this is the one that has kind of the oldest evidence. Mm-hmm. Like in ancient Greece and ancient Egypt, physicians had theories of periodic abstinence in order to prevent conception. So even right. back then, um, abstinence only was pretty a pretty tough sell for people. Yeah. But they knew that women sometimes got pregnant from sex and sometimes didn't, unprotected sex, I mean. Right. So there were theories about when you had to be abstinent in order to prevent conception, but no one could agree on when it was. Yeah. I mean, you know, back then we didn't know what uh, ovaries were, fallopian tubes. Like we weren't sure about the apparatus. We didn't know about eggs. We didn't know about sperm, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, people had different theories, but um, it kind of fell out of favor in the medieval times because of condoms, but spoilers, that is option two. Mm-hmm. Um But then this method, the rhythm method and periodic abstinence came back in in like the 19th century because Darwinism. Yeah. That's that's what it's called, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Because Charles Darwin was thinking a lot more about how to breed animals and how animals change over time. People were like paying attention to animal biology more in this time. Mm -hmm. And um, 
Well, unfortunately, it led to a theory that halfway through a human's menstrual cycle would be the least fertile time, which is the opposite of the truth in humans, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, This is because a lot of mammals, for example, dogs, when dogs are the most fertile, when they're ovulating, when they're in heat, they bleed. Uh So it was thought that human uh, uterus havers were the same way, that they were most fertile during menstruation and halfway through the cycle, so two weeks after menstruation, they were the least fertile. That is the exact opposite of the truth, and I'm sure led to quite a bit of um, panic and unfortunate situations back then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A condition. But finally, finally, in the 1920s and early 30s, um, these two um, gynecologists, one in Japan and one in Austria, finally found that the actual you know, period of ovulation in human menstrual cycles was, in fact, halfway between periods. Mm -hmm. And they also discovered that unfertilized eggs only last for 12 to 24 hours. So they were were real OP on this. Mm -hmm. And so then using that model of the menstrual cycle, Leo Latz in 1932, um, who was an American, he advocated this rhythm method as family planning that was not against the Catholic religion because the Catholic religion does not allow contraceptives. Right. And then the whole thing with temperature, cervical mucus, et cetera, came into play in the 50s. But Mm -hmm. just planning based on, like, calendars was um, established in kind of 1932. Yeah. So So that is the history of this. But Sophie, can you tell us a little bit of, like, does this method work? (laughs) Well, um, like we said, uh, first of all, predicting when you're ovulating, it can be an inexact science. So that's kind of a little bit of a risk factor. Um, Mm -hmm. This method in general has a pretty high failure rate. So according to some measures, this is only about maybe 70% effective. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's if you have a regular period, right? Um, I think it's just of the people surveyed, and I think the majority had regular periods. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. So um, Ovulation is also, it can be affected by other factors. So in addition to just your body and the cycle of hormones, then it's also related to stress and your diet and environmental factors. So it can be Mm -hmm. really difficult to perfectly accurately predict when you're ovulating from month to month. Um, Yeah. And, uh, you you know, it's, it's also, it can be also be really difficult to sort of commit to, you know, uh, a a schedule of what amounts to a schedule of abstinence because Mm -hmm. you know there's you have to be committed and you have to hold your partner accountable to not you know engage in sex activities during that time um or at least unprotected sex uh Mm -hmm. yeah and the on the bright side then i mean you know this is again this is not if you're catholic and you don't believe in contraceptives and this is kind of a way where it's not technically contraception where you're just like well Mm-hmm. You know, and it's also good for, you know, if you have some a, a condition, a medical condition that doesn't allow you to take, for example, hormonal birth control, maybe you're allergic to condoms. Yeah, this is a method of birth control that could be effective for you. Yeah, yeah. Like if you have an, if, if you have regular periods or something like that, then this might be something where you can spot exactly when you're going to be ovulating. Just avoid, you know, sex during that one during that period and then uh, keep on having fun the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Yes. So that is um, kind of using timing or using maybe partial, uh, quote unquote, abstinence for. Mm -hmm. 
This Which method can also be combined with what is called coitus interruptus, but is better known as the pullout method. Yes. Um, if you do want to have sex during the time that you believe you will be ovulating within five days of... Uh-huh. Again, it's very complicated. Yeah. Um, you can try to use the pull-out method, which is a, a different method of birth control that has its own statistics on how effective it is, but some yeah. people do combine these. I yeah. do just want to say, as far as using this method, I imagine it's easier now than ever. Right. Because of um, technology, people can measure their own temperatures, you know, yep. survey their own cervical mucus, et cetera, yep. and there's apps, right, to track right. your cycles. There's multiple but back apps. When this was back when this was introduced... People sold these ridiculously complicated, like, you know, um, God, what do you even call those? It'll be like two plastic things on top of each other, and you can move the one on top to show different things. You know? The top uh, one will have holes in it. Like a slide so, rule kind of deal? Well, yes, like a slide rule. They made these very complicated slide rule type things that they yeah, would give to people. Yeah, or like a little dial, like a paper dial. Yes, yes that people would try to use to track when they were going to be ovulating and anyway there's it was algorithms so complicated there's algorithms for it now and there's apps yeah. and it's and you're it'll be fine <laughs> yeah so okay. this method is i think more viable than it's ever been but still mm-hmm. not very effective um yeah. well so. it's it's you know it's not even 90% effective which is oh you know maybe what you would hope for when you're trying to family plan yeah um, I think this is also something that'll get better with time, you know, over time as more people, you know, it, more people use it and p- more data is collected and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of get a better idea of the population, then you, it's more easy. You have more data points to work on to sort of mm-hmm. try and accurately predict when ovulation is happening, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Our second option has also gotten much better over time. Uh, we're talking about condoms. Some people think we might have reached the peak of condoms, but I have faith that condoms will get even better in ways we can't even imagine yeah. right now. So, Sophie, please explain to the people how <laughs> condoms work. So, uh, basically, what it is, is it is some sort of covering uh, that separates the, well, when we're talking about penis and vagina sex, then, or penis and anus sex, uh, mm-hmm. it covers the penis and keeps the sperm inside of the condom out of the vagina in some way right so the one right. that most people are familiar with is the conventional male condom which you roll it over the like you roll it over your 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 you know wrap your willy don't be silly um <laughs> right so you roll it over the penis and then and then you have sex and and then you get on with your life um there are also you know it comes in a couple of other different flavors so you have female condoms which is basically the same thing where it's normally it's made of uh normally it's made of latex or it's made of uh some kind of plasticky material but this one you put it inside the vagina and then the penis goes inside of it and then you know same same stuff there's mm-hmm. uh that's basically what it is it's it's a physical barrier that keeps the sperm in some way from either getting inside of the vagina or getting inside inside of the uterus and 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 at all be getting it all close to the eggs basically yes yeah so it's fun it is fun yeah so condoms are what we call mechanical birth control, which is just physically separating the sperm and the egg. And there are other forms of this too, like diaphragms, you know, cervical caps, IUDs, but we're going to be focusing on condoms for this answer choice. So condoms. Condoms have been around longer than people might think. It's a very intuitive way to prevent conception, right? To physically separate the sperm and the egg or, you know, the seed from the woman, however people conceived of it in the past. 
Um, but it's kind of unlike abstinence, condoms are kind of harder to pull off just in a production standpoint or from a production standpoint. We, we know for sure that they were around in the medieval times in Europe. They might have existed before then, but the historical record's shakier on that. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that European doctors in the 1600s were prescribing condoms as a form of disease prevention. So we have the records for that. Yeah. Some people have in their minds like animal intestines were mm-hmm. the main form of condom during this yeah. period. And they definitely were there. But also lubricated linen was yeah. also a form of condom that was uh, used during the medieval times in Europe or during medieval times in Europe. Yeah. So at guys who or at penis havers who are like, I want to have unprotected sex because condoms feel weird. You don't know how good you have it. Literally. Imagine having to have like sheep intestine instead of like nice thin latex. Yeah. The, uh, Apparently yeah. Casanova, the famous the famous man about town, uh, hated using condoms uh-huh. because he said he didn't like to have to wrap himself in a dead animal to feel alive. Jesus. So that's typical of him. I'm not surprised. Uh-huh. Because real considerate lovers use condoms when their partners want it. Right. Anyway, so that was the pre-rubber era. But rubber, rubber, vulcanized rubber was invented in 1860 in the U.S. Right. Pretty much immediately, people saw the utility of using rubber to create condoms. Mm-hmm. But this is not the thin latex that we are familiar with. This is like thick, smelly rubber. Yeah. Uh, and they were trying, they, they were experimenting with the form. So actually, the first rubber condoms only covered the head of the penis, uh-huh. not the entire head and shaft as we're used to now. So apparently oh in Europe, these were known as American tips. Right. It's like so how you cute. call syphilis. Like, you know, like you call it different things in different countries. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, it's the French disease. No, no, no. It's the Italian disease. No, no, no. It's the Polish <laughs> disease. And so on right. and so forth. You know, it's it's the disease from not here. And Exactly. Same thing. I wonder what the Americans called the American tips. I, I, I don't particularly care. No, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, so they had, yes, rubber condoms beginning in this time. But then Comstock laws were passed, which were just a bunch of laws in the U.S. that were generally trying to crack down on the sale of, p- sale of porn, sex toys, contraceptives, etc. Because <gasps> you can't see me, but I'm clutching my pearls. Uh-huh, exactly. And they uh, successfully passed because America... I mean, we all know that America is not the best, right? But doing these kinds of history episodes about sex or gender really uh, sheds a light on this. Yeah. Um, So condoms were outlawed because they were contraceptives. Right. So then they started immediately having a booming underground condom market because they were wildly popular. Right. Um, They, you know, one of the... One of the ways you could signal that you were selling condoms was that you specialized in rubber gentlemen's goods. Mm. Which to me sounds like BDSM gear, which is a sex toy which would have also been illegal, but apparently it worked for them. Yeah. And then finally, in the 1930s, we return to our origin in medieval Europe, condoms as disease prevention. And the Comstock laws were uh, struck down that banned condoms because condoms were legalized as a form of disease prevention. Not as contraception. Disease prevention. Right. So then they were very popular with soldiers in World War II, et cetera, et cetera, for disease prevention only, I'm sure. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, 
again, if you want to feel terrible about the United States, or more terrible than you already do, the contraceptive ban for married couples was not struck down until 1965. Mm-hmm. And the contraceptive ban for unmarried people was not struck down until 1972. Woo! <sighs> it's just, so it feels fun. like it's way too late in the history. I hate it. But anyway, then condoms were free and everybody could use them for contraception and for STD prevention, which is excellent. Uh huh. But there was still a lot of, you know, pushback against marketing things that were for contraception. Mm-hmm. The first nationally broadcast condom advertisement on television was in 1991, so like 20 years after they were legalized. Uh-huh. And there wasn't a primetime advertisement for one until 2005. And to this day, Fox News does not like to run contraception. I mean, or does Lindsay, not like to you run have to think ads. of the children. You have to think of the children. You have to think of the Catholics. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's more to the point, which is you have to think of the Catholics. <laughs> and you have to think of the children that you'll definitely have if you don't, you know, if you don't uh, use exactly. condoms correctly. Um but yes, that is the that is the rot history. Oh, I didn't mention, but also during the 19th century, latex was invented, and so condoms stopped being vulcanized rubber. Yes. Which is good. You're welcome. Another fun fact for everybody, the first uh, rainbow condoms were produced in Japan. Yay. I'm sure they didn't call those Japanese tips. Yeah. So uh, let's let's talk about, um, so that's the history of condoms. Um, so let's talk about maybe how how effective these things are. Lindsay, what do you think? Well, according to Planned Parenthood, condoms are 98% effective if they are used perfectly. Right. Realistically, people don't always apply them or use them perfectly or mm-hmm. they tear. You know, sometimes there's just a mechanical error. So yeah. or sometimes, in practice, yeah. yes. Or sometimes you use oil-based lube with your latex condom, mm-hmm. which is a thing that you should not do. Mm-hmm. Use exactly. water-based lube. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So realistically, condoms are something like 85% effective mm-hmm. in people's day-to-day lives. Right. But on, on the bright side, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're generally, they're cheap. They're accessible. You can get this them in uh, airport bathrooms. Yes. Um, you know, you can get flavored condoms in airport bathrooms, which is a thing that I've seen in multiple airports. <laughs> Love it. Um, and generally, you can normally get them um, without a prescription. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. I so, think, yeah, especially in the U.S., pretty much yeah. never need a prescription. This includes female condoms. They're definitely not as widespread, but they're just, they are also inexpensive and non-prescription. Right. Um, another plus of um, condoms, because it's a physical barrier, then it does help to prevent some sexually transmitted infections or STIs, also known as STDs. Um, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't prevent all STIs because you know there's still things like herpes or crabs or things that are like transmitted because of skin to skin contact mm-hmm. but um stuff like HIV um or stuff that's kind of transmitted through the interchange of bodily fluids then that can that's something that condoms can help to prevent so that's why yes. we were saying that they were used for disease prevention yes right? they're still not 100% effective because most people do not um use condoms during oral sex Mm-hmm. Uh, which means you can absolutely spread um, some STDs. You know, you that can way. get herpes of the throat. If you don't yeah. want that, we recommend condoms for oral sex. Yeah. Um, and yes, yeah. So, uh, yeah, lots of good things about it, honestly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're not perfect. They are not 100% accessible as – or not accessible. They are not 100% effective, as we mentioned earlier. Um, right. A lot of people who use condoms do say that 
sex does feel different while they're wearing condoms and it is less good. (laughs) Now, honestly, that's a trade-off that people have to decide to make. And, you know, it's a bummer. It's a bummer to have to try to to have to make that trade-off every time you want to have sex. And I Lizzie, do you want to tell the story about your mom and what she told you and your sister? Because <laughs> it's yes. pretty funny. So I myself am asexual, right. but my sister is heterosexual. So when we were growing up and she was getting to uh, the age where she was interested in boys and uh, wanted sex, as it turns out, she went to my mom to talk about it. Uh-huh. And my mom said, okay, well, you know, you always have to use a condom. Boys will tell you that it doesn't feel as good, but they're lying. It feels the exact same, and uh-huh. they're just trying to manipulate you. So always have a condom. Always use a condom. Right. So she always did. Then she got married. You know, she's on the pill. She and her husband trust each other a lot, obviously, so they have sex without a condom. Uh-huh. She comes back to visit home, and she tells my mom, you lied to me because sex... <laughs> Sex obviously felt different for him, and it felt better for me, too. And my mom said, well, yeah, but uh, I needed to make sure you were using condoms. So Lindsay's I think mom. she thought it was worth it. Yeah, power move. It was a power move. Yeah, My mom is full of power moves, not going to yep. lie. But yeah, I mean, so uh, yes, it can feel different. But uh, also, you know, that's a, that's a choice that, you, you know, if you uh, don't want to use a condom, then uh, probably use some other form of birth control because... Mm-hmm. Uh, condoms only work when you put them on. <laughs> so, and make sure that your partners don't have any STIs that uh, you don't want to catch. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, speaking of other birth control options, shall we move on to ep- option C? Let us do that. All right. So, option C is the birth control pill, uh, also known as hormonal birth control. Mm-hmm. Hormonal birth control shows up in a couple of different forms. We're going to be focusing on the pill. But there are other forms of hormonal birth control, such as implants that you can get into your arm, vaginal rings, patches, etc. Yeah, exactly. Um, And again, please consult the more full or more comprehensive list that we will have in our show notes. Um, They basically kind of all work the same, which is normally they use progestin, which is a hormone that kind of regulates your menstrual cycle and stops your ovaries from releasing eggs, right? So, uh, of course, so you can kind of follow the logic there, which is that if your ovaries are not releasing eggs into your uterus, then they can't meet any sperm. And um, a lot of these, uh, a lot of the hormonal birth control methods or the ones that use progestin also um, help to thicken your cervical mucus. So that also helps to block sperm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that's that's basically how they work. And so the pill is you take one every day and you have to take it at the same time every day, which is something that I am so bad at, which is why I'm not (laughs) on the pill. Um, (laughs) So you take it every day and then you skip a week and that's the week when you have your menstrual period and then you go back to taking it. So Mm -hmm. a lot of women, even women who aren't, or I shouldn't say women, a lot of uterus havers, even ones who aren't sexually active, uh, they use the pill to sort of regulate their periods because some people report having uh, lighter periods because mm-hmm. of the exposure to progestin. But this can also have the opposite effect for some people. Sometimes they have uh, heavier periods. It just really depends on your body. Because, yeah. yeah. And in the 2000s, it was also approved as a treatment for um, acne in people with uteruses too. Because hormonal birth control, hormones control a lot about your body. Yeah. So it's kind of a... Killed two birds with one stone. Yep. Yep. I looked this up the other day because I thought, you know, people without uteruses, can they take some kind of hormonal pill to help with their acne? Mm. Uh, Probably yes, but they cannot take uh, progesterone pills. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I learned. Yeah. 
So, Lindsay, can you tell us a little bit about the history? Like, how did this come about? Yes. Um, This one was later in the game because, you know, abstinence is kind of a no-brainer. Mechanically separating sperm from egg also makes a lot of sense, but birth control pills rely, or hormonal birth control relies on a chemical understanding of human hormones that we didn't really achieve until the 1900s, the mid-1900s. Yeah. So you guys may have heard of Margaret Sanger, who was a famous birth control activist in the early to mid-1900s. She was very interested in a birth control pill. Mm -hmm. And in the 50s, chemists and endocrinologists were at the point in human research where they, you know, knew enough about the menstrual cycle and reproduction to really um, start researching how to manipulate manipulate the menstrual cycle and conception. Right. So Gregory Pincus is the um, endocrinologist credited with coming up with the progesterone pill, which Mm -hmm. he tested on lab rats, of course. Right. Um, And Margaret Sanger was kind of the activist who championed him. So that all worked out. And that was in the 50s. So finally, in 1957, the FDA, this is in the U.S., of course, did approve the birth control pill, but not for birth control, for severe menstrual disorders <laughs> and uh i will tell you in the um in the source i was looking at was a timeline so they said 1957 fda approves this pill for menstrual severe menstrual disorders and then in a little sub note it says uh, a statistically unlikely number of women that year had severe menstrual disorders <laughs> so good for them that's funny i love yeah. footnotes i love sassy footnotes me too Great. yes uh, so then it was approved as a contraceptive three years later in 1960, again right. for married people and then rolled out to non-married people later. Um, right. For example, did you know in the summer of free love, you know, with Woodstock and all that, mm-hmm. the pill was not legal for non-married couples to use as contraceptives. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah. There were yeah. black markets and stuff, but it wasn't legal at the time. Yeah. But so, yeah, so that was, you know, that's one of the reason that kind of the 60s was kind of known as the the era of free love or like the sexual revolution is because because the pill was on the market you know yep. not available to completely everybody but it was available to a lot more available people. to women with quote-unquote severe menstrual disorders yeah and so it <laughs> became a thing on the market and it was mm-hmm. a thing that was relatively effective and so that that you know a lot of um that really contributed to sort of the changing of gender roles and, and, mm-hmm. and more women, you know, being able to opt out of pregnancy if they wanted to, which yeah, is cool. Exactly. And yes. I mean, so that was in the sixties, right. That it was approved and mm-hmm. there was religious op- opposition over the years, obviously a lot, right. a, a lot of religions do not approve of contraceptives, No, nope. uh, but there were also racial concerns because, you know, Planned Parenthood was one of the organizations championing the pill and making sure it got out to people. Uh-huh. But Planned Parenthood at the time was overrepresented in um, minority low income neighborhoods. And there were people who believed, you know, intentionally or not, this was leading to, you know, the suppression of minority groups in trying to reduce birth rates. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it was an interesting question that they kind of had to wrestle with at that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But also, this form of the pill was a very um, intense one, you know, high dose of progesterone. And it had a lot of side effects. Truly, it had a lot of medical side effects. Right. And so in 1988, they came out with a lower dose version of this pill that mitigated a lot of the health risks and also gave a lot of the health benefits that people see from the pill, including 
um, well, they had already reduced periods, so never mind. Just mitigated um, a lot of the health risks um, from right. that. Right. And now on the market, you know, there's only a couple that are FDA approved. I mean, there are several quote unquote brands, but they're all from the same parent company, from the same parent um, formula. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what can you tell us about the efficacy of the birth control <laughs> pill, Sophie? Um. So when you use it perfectly, uh, it is... 99.7 effective apparently mm -hmm. um of course that's if you use it perfectly as in you yeah. take it every day at the same time yeah and and hardly uh, anyone uses it perfectly yeah i'm i i i, I never did so that again reasons why i'm not on the pill mm -hmm. but um so it uh like we said it's also helpful for treating other hormonal conditions so like acne um and it's relatively non-invasive. You know, you don't have to stick your – don't have to mess around with your genitals. Mm -hmm. um, it can also – for a lot of people, it helps to actually alleviate period symptoms. Um, mm -hmm. And, and you know, it, it confines your period to one week or, you know, whenever you take the placebo pills. Or if you want to stop having your period for a while, then you can take birth control pills. I want to say up to like three months or something like that. Yeah, um, they you can do that kind of with just the prescription one. I mean, you should use it as recommended, but I don't believe there's a health outcome yeah. to that. But there are also there is also a specific kind of the birth control pill that is made for you to take it for three months on and then have a week of period. Yeah. So so you know, for 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 people who have really difficult birth, uh, really difficult menstrual cycles, then maybe that's like that's a thing that even if you're not sexually active then you're just like i just don't want to go through this once a month and you know you can yeah. kind of stretch it out and that and also interacts. um mm -hmm. it um the birth control pill hormonal you know treatments are also used as um treatments to mitigate the symptoms of polycystic ovarian syndrome yeah which is something that affects people with uteruses that uh is not uh. well understood by doctors uh. yeah and the treatment is estrogen which is also in in the new pill you know it's not just progestin so Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it can also be used to treat that. Right. So, I mean, some cons is uh, in most cases, a lot of times it does require a prescription, right? Mm -hmm. You you need to be prescribed it by a healthcare professional of some sort. Um, a lot of times there are side effects and not every type of birth control is going to work perfectly for every person. Sometimes you need to kind of experiment a little bit and try and try different birth control uh, pills like and ratios, formulas. essentially. Yeah, you need to kind of figure out which one is going to work best with your body because some they don't always work perfectly. Um and and some people uh because of their hormone fluctuations or because of other conditions in their body then they can't take birth control at all. So mm -hmm. if that's you then that, you know, then then this is not the best option for you. Yeah. Um the other thing is also because it's an oral contraceptive. Um and it's a hormonal birth control, so it does not prevent it does not prevent the spread of STDs, right? If you have an STD, right. you're still going to be like, it's still possible for you to pass it on if you are having unprotected sex. So, right. Or otherwise yeah. unprotected sex, I suppose. Yeah. Barrierless, physical barrierless sex or something like that, then yeah, you're right. probably, you're, you're still at risk of STDs. Um, and like we said, it's really difficult to keep up with or to use it perfectly, you know, like they're like, Taking it at the exact same time every single day can be really hard for a lot of people. That is true. Uh, so, um, yeah. So that that's 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 the lowdown on oral birth control, oral yep. contraceptives, which is lots oof. of benefits, but lots of side effects. Yeah. So just something you have to kind of keep in mind. Mm -hmm. 
All right. So that takes us to option four, mm-hmm. which is uh, emergency contraceptives, also generally known as the morning after pill. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this should be a last dis- a last ditch effort, right? <laughs> Hence the word emergency, because um, this is not generally considered a long term solution. Uh, like some of the other ones that we've looked at um, previously. The reason too is, so for example, a lot of people have heard of Plan B, that brand. Right. Right. You can take Plan B multiple times. You will have no, as the research has so far has shown, you will not have any lasting healthcare consequences. Um, there are side effects, you know, like you will be nauseous for maybe a couple of days after you take it. So that's unpleasant, mm-hmm. but it leads right. to nothing in the long term. It's just that it's very expensive to right. use as your primary form of birth control. Right. You yeah. know? So even even if it's not, it's not like you should only use it in an emergency and it won't work otherwise, but it's like there are just so many better options if you have the um, the leisure or the opportunity to take them. Yeah, exactly. So, so Lindsay, do you want to kind of tell us about how uh, emergency contraceptives work? Yeah. So these are technically, um, well... There are different kinds of emergency contraceptives. I believe Plan B is the most well-known, but there are kind of three main ones. Plan B, Ella, and IUDs. I know people are thinking, IUDs, that's just an implantable kind of birth control. You're right. But it's also used as a form of emergency contraceptive after people have had unprotected sex. If you insert an IUD within a certain time period, it is very effective at preventing pregnancy. Right. And that's actually the origin of an IUD was as emergency contraceptives for rape victims in the 60s. Mm-hmm. But let, I want to focus more on Plan B and Ella, which I think are more in line with what people think of as the morning after pill. Right. So these are hormonal birth control, just like the birth control pill that people take, you know, daily. Um, but they are more extreme. They have higher mm-hmm. doses of progesterone. And the whole goal is just to stop or delay the, um, the release of eggs. The re- right to stop or delay ovulation and uh, uh-huh. makes it harder for eggs to attach to the uterine wall, just like normal yeah. birth control. Right. Um, but the problem with these, again, as a long-term birth control solution, is that they do have, because they are harsher, higher dosage, they do have these unpleasant side effects, and they're more expensive. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they work just like normal birth control, but more so. Yeah. So yeah, the whole point of these is that um, morning after pills do not work if sperm has already reached the egg. But what these pills do is they delay the release of an egg for long enough for the sperm that is inside to die off, to rinse out, to not be a problem anymore by the time the egg actually ovulates. Because sperm can stay um, viable for up to five days. Right. So if you were going to ovulate within those five days, you would probably get pregnant. And these pills just prevent that ovulation long enough for the sperm to be a non-factor. Right. So can you tell us a bit about the history of um, of emergency contraceptives, Sophie? Yeah. So they were introduced um, in the mid-60s as an emergency contraception originally for rape victims. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, you know, it was like, again, a big shock of um estrogen and other hormones uh and that could be pretty hard on your body mm-hmm. um, like even harder than the morning after pill is these days so mm-hmm. the sort of better method was rolled out in the 70s and that was it mitigated a lot of the side effects um 
And that was also around the time that people rolled out the copper IUD implantation as a form of emergency contraception, right? So Mm -hmm. the long and short of, of how that works is it just like, I'd like to think of it as it kind of confuses or misdirects the sperm. Um, Yeah. Um, Sperm does not like copper, so it avoids it and therefore doesn't go to where the egg will be. Yeah. So it messes with that and kind of basically tries to keep them uh, away from the eggs again, but using a sort of a more chemical method. Um, Mm -hmm. And then plan B, the, that particular pill got approved in 1999. uh, And at that point you needed a prescription for it. Um, and then it was approved for over-the-counter uh, for adults in 2006, and then av- now it's available for all ages starting from 2013. So mm-hmm. not that long ago. No, it was a it was a big deal during um, the Obama administration. This mm-hmm. the the whole lawsuit that went into trying to make Plan B available for minors, essentially over-the-counter. Right. right. And uh, it was a it was a, a drawn out lawsuit, but it they did eventually win, and now it's available for you know anybody who could get pregnant. Right. Yeah. So um, let's talk about let's talk about how effective it is, Lindsay. Yeah. So again, there there are multiple kinds, and mm-hmm. the IUD is ninety nine percent effective if it is implanted before um, fertilization. Right. However. You do need a prescription and you need an appointment for a doctor or nurse to actually implant it. Right. So, so that it's be a really hard. hard. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty hard to yeah get that turnaround in the um, time period because they recommend you want to get this done within 72 hours or five days at the outside. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty tough. The yeah. next most effective is Ella, which is a prescription morning after pill. Right. Um, Ella is effective for Five days after the unprotected sex, just as effective on the last day as it is on the first day. Yeah. But again, you need a prescription. You need to come in for a consult. You need to have the turnaround time. Um, and you need to have this done before fertilization occurs. So that can be pretty tough. Right. Now, plan B is the over-the-counter generic, essentially generic version. Right. This kind is most effective within three days, effective up to five days, but it loses efficacy for, you know the longer after the unprotected sex you take it. Right. Uh, so it's hard to pin down any specific statistics for how effective Plan B is because the efficacy changes depending on when you manage to take it, you know? Right. And also it's not recommended um, for people, I think it's like over 150 pounds. Like if right. you carry more weight, then you're probably going to have better luck with Ella. But again, yeah, that <laughs> you got to jump through some hoops in order to get a hold of that. So. Plan B, I think people try to rate it by BMI, but BMI is fake, so then they just have to give it to you by weight, which, yeah. Yeah. So, yes, it's less effective if you're over 150 pounds. Ella, I think, is effective up to 190, maybe? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Not over 200, but definitely higher than Plan B. Right. So, given yeah. all of these kind of sliding scales, it's pretty hard to peg down any kind of percentage. Yeah. But... You know, it's uh, it's better than nothing. Every body it, is different, but exactly. You know, in general, this is so. Which is why, again, we say that this should probably be a last ditch effort because there are other sort of preventative measures that you can do beforehand that maybe will reduce the risk of your having to depend on Plan B or Ella or an IUD, even though yeah. those are there for you if you find yourself in a situation. Yeah. Um, they're yeah. harder so on your that. body than a lot of the methods we've already talked about, and they're more expensive. 
It's yeah. cheaper to just buy a pack of condoms if you have that option available to you. But mm-hmm. if you don't, these are here and they, you know, they aren't useless. They're far better than useless. So they yeah. are, you know, they're a valid form of birth control. Yep. Okay. So, uh, with all of that said, then I think it's time for the verdict, right, Lindsay? Yes, I think you're right. Okay. So, Lindsay, in your opinion, or possibly in your experience, I don't know, uh-huh. um, what is the best method of birth control? Now, we are looking at this from the perspective of uterus havers. Yes. And for me, I think the best method, so with a lot of different kind of criteria folded into it, I think the best method is the birth control pill. Uh-huh. I like this method because it's completely dependent on just you. Um, Mm -hmm. Condoms sort of require the cooperation of your sexual partner, regardless Mm -hmm. of whether you're using male or female condoms. Right. The rhythm method, same pitfall. And the morning after pill, I've I've delegated to kind of, it's better as a stopgap, but it's not the best long-term form of birth control. Yeah. Um, So yeah, the pill is just on you. You know, you take it and it prevents pregnancy on your part, which I think is a really, uh, a nice form of empowerment, you know? Yeah. And then additionally, I have, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I really like the hormonal side effects that taking the birth control pill gives to people. Yeah. Um, I can't say for sure, but it seems like my skin cleared up, uh, once I started using hormonal birth control and, um, to an extent it has really helped mitigate my symptoms for mm-hmm. polycystic ovarian syndrome because I used to have very, very painful periods and now yeah. um, they're very much reduced and I don't, yeah, um, my painful symptoms are reduced. So yeah, I'm going to go with C, birth control pill. Yeah. And what are about you... you, Sophie? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, Please I was follow gonna, up. I was going to ask because I was going to say, because you're not on the pill these days, right? Because you're on a special kind of hormonal birth control. Is that true? Uh, yeah. So I used okay. to, I used to take um, the pill when I was uh-huh. younger And I also found it kind of hard to take at the same time every day. But more importantly, I didn't have a good brand. Like the matchup made me kind of nauseated and gave me irregular periods. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't sexually active at the time, so I just stopped taking it. Mm -hmm. But then I was experiencing a lot of the painful symptoms of um, menstruation that I had had before. And at this time, my um, symptoms of polycystic ovarian syndrome started showing up. Right. And when I went to get that checked out, um, the doctor prescribed hormonal, hormonal birth control as a method of mitigating that. So I have the um, implant currently. Yes. Which technically is not one of the options we talked about, but it does fall under, I think it's most similar and has the most similar side effects with um, the pill. So I yeah. am going with option C, the pill. Yeah, it's it's hormonal birth control. I mean, and it's using the same ingredients. It just kind of um, releases it in a different way, right? Mm-hmm. You, it just that is true. Like it's one of those you set and forget it kind of things. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, you're you're out here living in like the 22nd century, which is great. <laughs> you're part cyborg. Yeah. I mean, I mean, people think um IUDs I think are kind of the other one that's tied for convenience, like set and forget it. But right. it doesn't have hormonal side effects, which I want. I want side well, effects for my birth control method. Well, from what I was researching, there's two there's there's two types of IUDs because there's the hormonal IUDs and then there's mm-hmm. the ones that are just plain like copper or mechanical. Yes, um, yes, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, so there's the hormonal IUDs, which do I don't know if they give you the hormone that you in particular need, but I know that there, some IUDs are set so that you can um, they kind of secrete hormones as well, so which is interesting. Yeah, you know, yeah, I interesting. yeah, it's um. 
I was taking a quiz for fun on Planned Parenthood, seeing which birth control was right for me. Right. And it was like, you know, how important is XYZ? And one of the options was um, not having side effects. And I was like, what's the opposite? I want side effects. Give me all yeah. the side effects. <laughs> yeah. Well, as long as they're like, you know, as long as they're reductive side effects. Yes. Not, my like, beneficial side effects. Every day. Of course. Because, of course. You know, we both have friends who have tried different birth control methods and it just and they were not good results. yeah and i mean as i mentioned the the brand of the pill that i was on mm-hmm. when i was younger wasn't right and it had terrible side effects that i didn't want yeah. i want none of the bad side effects and all of the good side effects and the only one that can offer me that is hormonal birth control yep um i am gonna have to agree with you which is i think that the birth control pill is definitely um out of these four at least yeah, the yeah. birth control pill is is definitely the best just mm-hmm. because um the first one involves way too much like the first one involves way too much guesswork for my comfort. The rhythm method. Um, yeah, C- mm. condoms condoms are good and condoms are helpful especially you know uh if you are sexually active. Um speaking as somebody who is not sexually active right now. Yeah. Um you know then th- that doesn't really help me very much. Um mm-hmm. but just in terms of regulating my period then yeah birth control was a really really big help. Um, these days I'm not on the pill just because I am a, not sexually active and, uh, my periods have gotten light enough that I'm just like, whatever. Yes. <laughs> you know, I just take an aprox and take a nap and then move, move on with my day. Right. Uh, which I'm, I know that I'm lucky that I can do that and that it works, but yeah, just because I'm, I'm, I'm on a whole different cocktail of medicine and I'm just like, that is hard enough to keep track of without having to also yeah. keep track of a birth control pill. That no kidding. Right now, I don't necessarily need. So mm-hmm. that's the sitch with me <laughs> in my vagina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, oh. Okay. Welcome to the so, podcast. Yeah, that's checking that's in on the, the state of your host's vaginas. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you thought you were getting when you when when you were listening to this episode, but uh, that's 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 the lowdown on that. Yep. So. Um, now, something that we didn't really um, dig into when re- when writing this episode and recording was um, kind of the accessibility. And mm-hmm. um, please understand that we are recording this episode in the midst of the Democratic primaries. Medicare for all is kind of a big <sighs> issue right now. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, what do you think, Sophie? What do you think about the accessibility of birth control in the U.S. or your ideal um, state of accessibility or anything like that? Um, I mean, the options that we've discussed, then like those are largely, large, relatively accessible, mm-hmm. right? You, you know, condoms are pretty inexpensive and that's, that's not, that wasn't always the case. They weren't always inexpensive and readily available. You know, like I, obviously a lot of people had to really campaign like that. That was a thing that was a big issue during like the AIDS crisis. Um, mm-hmm. So that's worth noting. But now we have uh, relatively easy access to condoms, birth control, then like most doctors in my experience, they're just like, yeah, I mean, um, it can be a hot button issue in some places, but like Mm -hmm. by and large, then by and large, then like it's still relatively accessible, although that's it's possible that that might change in the near Mm -hmm. future. Yeah. Yeah. but uh yeah so like birth control the morning after pill again something that might change in the new future but right now it is relatively accessible although not in terms of price it would be nice if it was cheaper but yeah you know 
things being what they are, then hopefully, hopefully, it is to be hoped that hopefully you won't need the morning <laughs> after pill that often. Yeah. And you know something else, too, Um, Mm -hmm. because abortion is also technically a kind of birth control, right? It prevents birth. Again, something that maybe should not be your first go-to because of its uh, impacts on your body and your mental health, but it is a viable form of birth control. It is another um, big topic, but something that I think about going to school in the South, even though Mm -hmm. it's the South light here in Oklahoma, it is the South, um, is Mm -hmm. just the way that doctors treat women who are trying to be in charge of their own birth control um, not necessarily the pill you know just different methods i know that our mutual friend um is not interested in having children and as Mm -hmm. a legal adult went to the doctor and wanted to have a consult about the possibility of having a longer term perhaps a permanent thing like maybe having her tubes tied yeah um something that wouldn't have too many side effects but she she knows she's not interested you know in having children and right Doctors in the United States to this day, like, will refuse women from being sterilized who want it um, unless they have the, you know, permission of their husband. Yeah. Or if you're a young woman like our friend is, they refuse to do it at all for people who are under a certain arbitrary age because, you know, they feel that that's their right, I suppose, to deny women the health care that they're asking for. Yeah, they're just like, well, I mean, what if you change your mind? Mm-hmm. Um and, and, you know, it kind of comes back to this whole thing about women not knowing their own mind, women not being, like, completely responsible for their own health care, yeah. uh, not having complete agency over their bodies and stuff like that. So that's kind of not cool. No. And I feel like it's a very reasonable um, reaction when right. the world or when our country tells you, like, you're responsible for any outcomes of sex you had with another person and they are not responsible you are responsible. Mm-hmm. You will carry all the consequences. You will carry all the costs. And I think it's a reasonable reaction to say, I'd like to opt out, please. Can I yes. not can I not even have that possibility? Because I don't I don't want to be responsible for that. I don't even yeah, I don't want to play the game. And they say, No, no. I know better than you, and I'm gonna make you keep playing this game of roulette. Yeah. No, you can't your only way is not to slut it up. But if mm-hmm. you don't but if you don't do that and, you know, if you get assaulted or something like that and you end up pregnant anyway, then they're like, oh, but that's your fault. So, it, I mean, really it comes down to misogyny because let's be 100% here. A lot of um, things do. Yeah, a lot of things do. Um, and the flip side is kind of the same, too, where it's like, I mean, you know, like with we were talking earlier about um, Planned Parenthood initially having a disproportionate um, – presence in underrepresented communities because mm-hmm. the flip side of that is p- forced sterilization is also um, yep, a big was, issue with a lot of yeah. people that was that was one of the big concerns yeah suppressing the birth rates of certain communities like for, for sterilization believe it or not is still a thing that does happen mm-hmm. and um that's also something that uh we are not fans of because right. the whole thing like the whole goal is for uterus havers most of whom are women mm-hmm. but uterus havers in general to to have agency over their own bodies and be able to determine whether or not they want to get pregnant. Right? Yeah. Some people exactly. really do want to get pregnant and that's they're entitled to that and some people don't want to get pregnant at all and they're entitled to that and everything in between. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Birth control, baby. Birth control and family planning. Or the should realm I say birth women, control even no though baby. it shouldn't be. You know, did you get that? I'm sorry, what'd you say? I said, or should I say birth control, no baby. Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So 
with all that being said, uh, yes. the, this episode was written by Lindsay Jones and Sophie Lee with the very generous help of Daniel, Daniel, <laughs> of Danielle Mullen. Yes, thank you, Danielle, for uh, being somebody who actually has expertise in this stuff and helping us look it over. Yeah. Yes. You are and appreciated. Very much so. The audio production is by Elisha Bonnet, and our intro and outro music is by David Hillowitz. Yes. So remember to go and check out our Twitter, which is Pixie Podcast. Um, there we will have a poll where you can tell us what you think is the best form of birth control or tell us what kind of birth control you use. Um, we will have our show notes, which for this episode, because it is an educational episode, it is they're going to be very extensive. Um, those will be over for, for, for free on our Patreon, which is also Pixie Podcast. If you enjoy the show and you want to support us, then we will. you can also sign up to support us on Patreon, where you can get bonus content, including outtakes and extra episodes and things like that. So definitely go check that out. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.